Hello, you're listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. We are a general interest independent bookstore located in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles, California. This year, because of the coronavirus pandemic, we've had to close our store and cancel in-person events. But Skylight is your neighborhood bookstore, and we are finding ways to create community even while we're far apart. In the coming weeks, we'll be putting out lots of new audio content to help you discover new books, connect with authors, and check in with your favorite booksellers. To learn more about how you can help keep Skylight alive, please visit our website at skylightbooks.com or check out our social media accounts on Twitter and Instagram. You can subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Hello, my beautiful listeners, and welcome to Skylit. This is the Skylight Books Podcast, and I'm your host, Lance Morgan. Today, I'm so excited because we have not one, but two authors who are going to be reading from their books. We're going to welcome Alana Massad and Jean Kyung Frazier to read from their new books, All My Mother's Lovers and Pizza Girl. Before I introduce them, though, I just want to remind you that Skylight Books is now open for in-store browsing. So please come on by. No, we are still practicing social distancing and CDC guidelines. So please bring your masks and be mindful of everyone around you, but come on by. We're so excited to see you here. We also offer curbside pickups and online ordering on our website, www.skylightbooks.com. So please, if you don't wanna um, come in to get your books, you can still order online. Alana Massad is a fiction writer, essayist, and book critic whose work has appeared in the New York Times, Los Angeles Times, the Washington Post, the Paris Review, NPR, BuzzFeed, Catapult, Story Quarterly, McSweeney's Internet Tendency, as well as several others. All My Mother's Lover is Massad's debut novel. Jean Kyung Frazier lives in Los Angeles. She also teaches at Columbia University and writes for television. Pizza Girl is also her debut novel. Oh my God, Alana and Jean, thank you so much for coming today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Absolutely. This is a pleasure. I mean, both your books are always featured prominently in the bookstore and I just pass it every day. So this is just a pleasure for me to see you guys (laughs) here together. Um, So you both have readings for us today. Yes. Yes. Uh, Do you want to start? Should I start? You go first. You go first. It might be be dangerous for you to go first. I'm going to get more nervous, but let's do it. (laughs) I think yours will probably end up being more fun, so. (laughs) All right, so uh, this is from about uh, 60 pages into the book. Um, The names that are important are Maggie was uh, one of the main characters. Peter is Maggie's dad. Uh, Ariel is Maggie's brother. And um, Gina is a friend of Maggie's. Um, And Maggie's mom has uh, just died and she's home for the uh, funeral and Shiva and this is the morning of the funeral. Up, daddy, you've got to get up. Maggie pulls on Peter's arms. It's almost 6.30 in the morning and she's already high. When the alarm rang, she rolled over and began toking right there in her bedroom, which she'd never done before. Even in St. Louis, in her own apartment, she can't smoke aside because someone got evicted for stinking up the place before. 
She usually goes out onto the porch of the four apartment house, or if the weather is nice, climbs out her kitchen window onto the sloped roof. But Peter as dad is MIA, leaving behind only Peter as new widower. So Maggie figures he's not going to care. And if he does notice the smell and smoke, well, maybe it'll snap him back from wherever he's gone. Peter responds to her tugs, agrees to get up from the chaise he slept on all night again. His face looks like it got left in the washing machine too long, the wrinkles unfamiliar, like they'll need ironing out. Maggie steers him toward his bedroom and its ensuite bathroom, but when they reach the doorway and he glimpses the large bed, the shared bureau, Iris's vanity, the open walk-in closet office, the filing cabinet with its half-open drawer and Iris's will and those letters lying on the floor, he stops. He puts his hands up and holds onto the doorframe, pushing against it, refusing to go in. He shakes his head over and over again, like a child, and Maggie almost laughs, an inappropriate response. We'd driven, surely, but she knows she wouldn't be able to handle this role reversal thing sober. She brings him to the other bathroom, tells him to wait. She gets the clothes he most hates from his closet, his monkey suits, he always calls them, the business attire he had to wear to rare meetings. In recent years, as more and more of his calls and meetings take place through video chat, ah, topical, I didn't realize that, sorry. <laughs> In recent years, He's only needed to wear the top half, the white shirt and black blazer. She hopes the pants still fit him. Back in, the in, back in the bathroom, she finds him leaning over the sink, staring at himself in the mirror. Shower, dress, got it, she says. He nods and his eyes well up and he mouths something that might be, I'm sorry, but she isn't sure and she doesn't stay to find out. Ariel's closed and locked door is hiding, mercifully, only Ariel himself. Last night, when Maggie came back from the brief meeting with Gina in a McDonald's parking lot, where Gina hugged her tightly and refused payment for the weed and the two MDMA capsules she'd added in there in case Maggie needed to let loose sometime before she left California, she saw that Liana's car was still parked on the street and had shuddered at the notion of needing to deal with Ariel's crush first thing on this of all mornings. But it isn't there now, thank goodness. Is she coming to the funeral, Maggie asks, when Ariel finally opens the door to her pounding. He looks exhausted, as if he hasn't slept a wink, but also over the moon at having gotten lucky. Also, get dressed. We have to leave in like an hour and you're driving. No, she's not. She said it was too triggering for her. Maggie snorts and Ariel glares at her. Fuck off. You're not the only one who matters, he tells her and slams the door. It's like they're back in his teenage years, his prime banging things around days. She gives his closed door the finger and goes to shower in her parents' bathroom. I'll leave it there. Oh, yeah. I Gosh, I remember when I was reading the book, too, the dialogue always really struck me. And, and as a writer, made me jealous. I, I took notes for sure. There, there's just such a genuine sort of humanness to it. I don't know. It's just how people talk. It sounds so simple. But I always feel like dialogue that natural is so hard to do. So you don't even see the strings if you don't look for it, if that makes sense. Thank Very you. Good. I feel the yeah. same about how you handle a first-person narrator, because I... I not nearly as good at it and I love your narrator as you know well but thank you for pumping me up because I'm about to read and now I'm quite nervous so You'll <laughs> anyway <be great>. um <laughs> I'm just reading from my first page uh this is chapter one page one Lance is giving me thumbs up right now and they're also really helping my uh mood <laughs> all right uh her name was Jenny Hauser and every Wednesday I put pickles on her pizza the first time she'd called in, it had been mid-June, the summer of 2011. I'd been at Eddie's a little over a month, 
My uniform polo was green and orange and scratchy at the pits. People would loudly thank me and then tip me a dollar. At the end of shifts, my hair reeked of garlic. Every hour I thought about quitting, but I was 18, didn't know how to do much of anything, 11 weeks pregnant. At least it got me out of the house. The morning she'd called, mom hugged me four times, Billy five, all before I'd pulled on my socks and poured milk over my cereal. They hurled I love yous against my back as I fast walked out the front door. Some days I wanted to turn around and hug them back. On others, I wanted to punch them straight in the face, run away to Thailand, Hawaii, Myrtle Beach, somewhere with sun and ocean. I, I actually have not been able to read past that page since it came out. I'm, I'm interested if you've been able to read your book <laughs> since I wanted to. <laughs> I, you know, I've managed to, and it's kind of surprised me every time. It's like, oh, it's not that bad. Yeah. But, uh, Cause I always expect it to be much worse and I expect right. to cringe. Um, yeah. Have you just not like looked at any of the other pages? Is it, is it like that? Like you just can't deal? Yeah, I can't bring myself to yet, but here and there I've had a friend text me a line, which I think is also so sweet. And so, I don't know, just cool that they're reading my book to begin with. And it, I feel the same thing where I'm like, oh, that's not so bad. Right, right. Yeah. It's kind of surprising. Like, oh, hey, you actually did the thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And maybe they weren't totally nuts to publish it. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> but um, anyway, how are you feeling? Gosh, we're a year out. We just had our paperbacks out. Doesn't that feel pretty wild? Yes, uh, mine is coming out soon and yours just came out, right? Yeah, gosh, I forgot mine. Yeah, May, May 4th. Right, right. Oh, may the fourth be with you and your book. Sorry. I know. And I had another fun. My hardcover one was uh, six nine, which oh, was nice. dirty, but delightful. So I have two great pub dates to always remember. Those both feel very like on point for yes. your narrator too. <laughs> <laughs> There's something she'd notice. Yeah. Yes, totally. Um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, it feels, I feel like this is probably one of the weirder times to have had a book come out. Right. Right. Like, <laughs> We didn't, I mean, I don't know, debuts don't always get to do tours or anything anyway, but right. like yeah. even just in-person celebrations with people, we didn't really get to do, except yeah. maybe the people we lived with or yeah. family or something, right? So I, I feel like it's felt really unreal. How has it felt for you? It's tough. I mean, I, I've never thought I had public speaking issues before. But mm. then I realized as I was doing these sort of online Zoom things that just like when I was like, a serious athlete like I realized before games just as before readings all I can think in my head is like don't fuck this up you stupid piece of shit this better go okay blah 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 and usually what made me feel good in sports games is I do one good thing and then I'd be like oh yeah I know how to do this I'm good and when you don't get that same thing like that same sort of positive reinforcement like in our case with readings like you're just mm -hmm. talking at your screen it's hard to know how you're doing and it's hard to know if it's going well and so anyway I'm anxiety rambling I don't know if no not at experience. all <laughs> that I mean I'm I'm fascinated by the fact that you used to be uh, an athlete uh, or played <laughs> a lot of sports that's cool yeah. um yeah. uh yeah you know I I find it yeah the zoom thing is really weird because like you have no energy coming back at you, right? right. Like with yeah. actual people, you can kind of read their faces or you can feel the totally. mood of a room. Yeah. Um, but I really like that idea of, you know, like holding on to that one good thing and, yeah. and taking it from there. I've never thought about yeah. it that way, but I really like that. Yeah, um, I feel like it's good to just remind yourself. It's like, like you were saying when I finished reading my thing and we were talking like, 
they weren't crazy to publish us and we are good <laughs> we to a degree, you know i don't know it's, it's i try to be positive with myself and not beat myself up too much and absolutely yeah and i mean you're teaching now as well right so you're are you yeah. teaching over zoom also totally i feel lucky i'm teaching a workshop but yeah mm -hmm. i teach undergrad and Honestly, they've like saved my life. I feel like the past few months, I'm utterly moved by them and how much energy and attention and care they bring to class like each week. It's, it's wild. You're a teacher as well, right? You're, you're yeah, I'm in a PhD program. Yeah, yeah so yeah, I'm, exactly. I'm teaching. Uh, and this, this semester I taught uh, queer lit for the first time, like a literature oh, class, not a, not a writing cool. class. It cool. was really, yeah, it was really fun. Um, and also because I, I structured it in this way where like we, we, we went through like a hundred years, basically. Like we only read four books but we started with passing by Nella Larson so like oh, actually nice. uh, you know 100 years yeah, ago yeah, yeah. nearly um and then moving forward and it's it's fascinating like how little queer history people know and of course they wouldn't yeah. because we don't teach it in schools right totally I even feel like I'm interested so like gosh I guess we're getting personal like right off the bat I feel like I've been having to like educate myself on queer history, mostly because mm. one, I feel like I had so much self-hate and so much internalized homophobia when I was like having my first coming of age, I'd say that I didn't really mm -hmm. want to look into it. Mm -hmm. But now that I am more open and more comfortable with myself, I feel like I'm so behind on so much, you know? Oh my gosh. I, yeah. <laughs> I feel the same way. There's just like so much. <laughs> Lance is giving us little signals. It's very, it's wonderful. <laughs> we um, love Lance. We love I'm Lance. So, I'm so sorry. I just like- Oh my gosh, I'm no, I love it. Like, Queer, like, yes, this is like, I'm leaning in. I'm like, oh my God, this is exactly what I'm experiencing too. There is so much little talk <laughs> on queer history. And oh my God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt your conversation. It's just so amazing. Don't apologize no, at all. We love it's it. It's great. We love it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's exactly it. <laughs> like we're not, we're not taught about our history. And so it's also really easy, I think, to feel really isolated totally. when you're first like realizing who you are and you know, having the feelings you're having. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I was really lucky because I grew up with a gay aunt. Um, oh, and recently, actually, my sister-in-law, who it has a child now, uh, mm -hmm. told me that um, she, she like texted me something about how you should be the gay aunt you want to see in the world. Aww. And then she made me a t-shirt with that. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. Uh, I love that. So now I have that because I can be that for my niece. But and now um, you wear nothing else. Exactly. Obviously. Yeah. Well, except right now, which I'm wearing pajamas because it's, you know, it's been a pandemic year. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's, I, I also feel like I'm behind. I feel like we're all behind because we don't get yeah. taught this stuff, you know? Totally. Yeah, I mean, it's why I mean, it's gosh, as writers, it feels like so important, you know, to put those narratives out that we like to see. And, you know, it's a cliche, but one that I really enjoy the just sort of like what would have made me feel less ugly mm -hmm. when, I, when I was young, what would have helped me feel a little bit like what would have helped me come out sooner? Right, <laughs> about that right. Too, you know, yeah. And I mean, that's actually one of the things that I love about Pizza Girl is how like it doesn't it doesn't deal with the coming out because mm -hmm. that's not where she's at yet. She's right. at the feelings yeah. part well yet said. still. Well and so, I mean, how, I guess what, what interested you about that part of the process in particular? Because to me, it feels mm -hmm. like, like you deeply queer book personally, like, <laughs> it just you. feels yeah. that way, you know? Yeah. Um, but I can see there being people who would totally read it as just like, oh, well, she's just obsessed. It's not a crush. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I mean, gosh, it's, it's I'm so well observed. This is why you're just brilliant. And it makes sense too that I, anyway, I love you. You're great. You're um, great. 
<laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it is that thing of like, it's so many things like sexuality attraction is so complicated. Um, but at the same time, I you look at what sort of like mainstream queer literature has been up to this point and, and, and I'm so glad it has been in this way, but a lot of it is concerned with the coming out story. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I'm so glad people have done it well, but I kind of wanted to take like a different look at it where it's like, I want, like, I believe the next step in making, in sort of like our queer writing uh, journey is like, how do we normalize things even more? Mm-hmm. And also too, like, let's let queer characters be complex and be a little fucked up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, cause like with Pizza Girl, her sexuality is like so low on the totem pole of her problems. Right. She's going to be a teen mother soon. She is a budding alcoholic. She's not dealing with her grief, her feelings towards her mother, her boyfriend, like, ah, there's so much. It, it, it makes me anxious even just listing it, you know? <laughs> Totally, totally. I mean, but that's part of what, why I think she's such a powerful character is that, that complexity. Yeah. I mean, well, that's why like Maggie is also such a deeply interesting and complex queer character. And, you know, it's, it would be, your book is also incredibly queer. Um, I love that first line. That is one of my favorite first lines I've read in, I think like maybe ever. There's something I just love so much. I'm such a, a, a word. I have such word kink. Mm-hmm. I love the perfect placement of words. And second, lazy orgasm is fantastic. I am, you know? I, I will say that of all of the things in my book, one of the things that I'm most proud of is that first line because <laughs> oh, yeah. it was like, I literally was up at night thinking about that line, right. trying to make it work correctly. Like that's how right. I, even, that's how I got a book. Like I didn't have a story and then I had that line. Um, but I kept playing with the language because yeah, I'm also such a language kink person and I can't always pull it off, but I do right. love when it's possible, you know? Yeah. I mean, God, the listeners will probably be so bored by this, but like <laughs> second orgasm still would have been good, right? Lazy mm-hmm. orgasm still would have been a good sentence, but second lazy orgasm, just those collection of words did so much for me. You know? And it also means something really specific, right? Because yes. I do feel like there's again, this might bore listeners or it might just be too graphic for some people, but you know, like there's a first orgasm that's like very powerful and like, you know, intense. And then sometimes there's more for some people. And for those people that have more, sometimes the next ones are different. Totally. Totally. I think they're just also too, if we're talking about like what it's teaching us about these characters from the beginning, they're at that sort of comfort and um, place in their relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's, we, we know it's past the hot and heavy first days. Anyway, right. I just love when a first line can do stuff like that. But um, yeah, I mean, beyond your book being like incredibly queer, it is more to me a book about just basic humanity and considering people beyond ourselves and like giving people the layers that they deserve. Uh, you know, I don't think we realize, um, especially until we get older that, you know, we need sometimes people in our lives to be 2D, to be flat. Mm-hmm. And that's what we do to people like our parents or, you know, our coworkers or just, you know, anyway. Or people I'm on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, so <laughs> you know? why I'm not really on Twitter, as you know. I can understand that, it's extremely <laughs> stressful. <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, so what was like, I guess one, I was just fangirling for a sec, but like, did, did you think that this would be your first novel? And are you usually like kind of drawn to characters like this, I guess? Like how did how did this become your first thing? I guess? Mm. Well, it wasn't it wasn't the first thing that I wrote. Okay. Like I I'd written several novels before and I'd sent yeah. them to agents and had right. rejections and like, you know, then mm. 
went through that process and was like, okay, I'm going to write something new. Okay. I'm going to write something new. You know, yeah. uh, this, when I did start writing this and I figured out that I had like a road trip story on my hands, well, that's when I kind of knew like, okay, this is my best shot. Honestly, this is much less weird <laughs> than the other thing, things I'd written. Sure. Um, but yes, but I, let I you am... find a way to still make it weird in your own. And maybe that's what I also just like, didn't even realize <laughs> until now what I liked about it. You like took a trope and we're like, I'm going to make this fucking mine you know tried so yeah. I'm glad that it worked for you yeah, at least absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> thank you uh yeah I mean and in terms of like the characters that I'm drawn to mm-hmm. absolutely like I feel like I if anything what being on social media over the past 10 years literally I think I joined Twitter at least 10 years ago it's so funny to think about yeah <laughs> uh, it's way too long it's too much but I think I think what it has shown me right is like how how much we need to simplify people in order mm. to be able to hate them. It's <laughs> so much easier to hate someone yeah. and to find yeah. someone, you know, somehow inhuman when you flatten mm-hmm. them. Exactly what you were saying. We need yeah. people to be 2D sometimes. I mean, like with parents and children, right? Like you yeah. have to, you you have to think of your parents as 2D when you're a teenager because that's part of your, I don't know, like progress is rebelling or something. <laughs> Um, or it's like as a teenager you're dealing with so much of your own shit you don't yes. want to think about what mom is doing when you're at school right you, you know? don't want mom mom doesn't exist when you're not in the room yes right uh it's very it's very like quantum like that um and also I, I'm most drawn as the reader to those kinds of stories you know yeah. to stories with complex characters um okay. and I mean you mentioned before that uh pizza girl is like a budding alcoholic and mm-hmm. and that's that's one of the things that when, when I remember when I got to that part in the book, which is, I mean, it's pretty early on. It's not like yeah. a spoiler that she's, we know she's pregnant on the first page and by page 30 or something, we see her like in her dad's old shed, yeah. um, which sidebar, have you seen Six Feet Under? And was there any relation to that room in the first season of Six Feet Under with that shed? No, I have not seen Six Feet Under. Now I got to watch it. Oh my God. You totally should. There's like- no way. Lance is and a it's an LA yes and it's an LA show too so oh, um I gotta check it out. but uh anyway so uh we see her drinking like really early on and that's sort of a pattern that continues and I just when I got there I sort of I had this moment of like as as a reader being so enthralled with this moment and as a writer being yeah. so enthralled with this moment oh, and then my little like internet brain was going oh my god people are going to be so pissed off <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I suspected that you knew that while you were writing totally. and so I was wondering like how did you deal with that and what I don't know what how did you know that yeah. you wanted her to be doing that yeah gosh I mean that's such a funny interesting question I definitely knew people would be pissed off especially like it felt you know I knew it was wild to do especially when the majority of readers or what they say the majority of readers are are like young mothers in book clubs mm-hmm. you know and so my editor even asked me at a certain point, like, hey, your character is pregnant and drinking a lot. Like, should we tamp that down? Or maybe she only has like one beer here and there. And I'm like, yeah, I guess, I guess but ultimately it just is like, no, uh, that's not really what I'm trying to do. You know, if people don't like it, I totally get that. Like it is, you know, life's too short to read shit that you can't handle. And if you can't handle it, fair enough. Mm-hmm. But I, I do think there is, I, I got to know that there are people out there that this would mean something to, you know, because I think even if you've obviously never been a pregnant woman who drinks, you can 
relate to the feeling of like, I know this is terrible for me and I hate myself for it, but I can't seem to stop myself, mm-hmm. you know? Cause I found like, if, if that was the case, like addicts, if there's one addict and they have a kid, the kid would never be an alcoholic, right? Mm-hmm. But often addicts breed other addicts, mm-hmm. you know, because there's something that there's like this void inside of everyone. I think everyone has their own sort of si- like different sized void and people try to fill that in different ways. And mm-hmm. sometimes people find healthy ways to fill that void. Oftentimes we do not. And so again, I'm rambling, but that just felt really oh. important to address and to talk about. And, you know, God, what a tough age. I, I, I am so glad I'm not 18 and you're, anymore. <laughs> I don't know about you, shit. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm, I'm extraordinarily glad I'm not 18 anymore. <laughs> I was so not doing well when I was 18. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean you also, know, you know, oh, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I was going to say, <laughs> gosh, the funny, the funny podcast Zoom vibes, but like, do you know what is also funny? I would mm. also describe your character is 10 years older than Pete's girl. Maggie is what, like 27, 28. Mm-hmm. And I feel like she, I would describe your book as coming of age too. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a really fun thing you played with also that like coming of age, you think of like 16 to like 18 or like even college it extends to 22 28 though what were you conscious of that when you were writing that you're sort of playing with what it means to come of age I think so I I mean I you know not at the beginning probably but like as I was writing you know I eventually probably realized that that was part of what I was doing because I think I mean and this again feels like a uniquely millennial thing we've been told for so much of our lives like once we have technically come of age or near coming of age we were told that we were pieces of shit who were ruining the economy. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, do you yeah. remember the headlines? Like they were, we were ruining everything. Real yeah. estate, McDonald's, Houston. weddings, uh, <laughs> babies. We were just ruining the world somehow. Yeah. yeah. And like, how do you get a sense of yourself as a grown up when all of the people that mm-hmm. you've learned are grown ups are telling you you suck just <laughs> constantly? Yeah. Even if it's not personally in your life, it's culturally, there was like something in the totally. air. Yeah. Um, and so I think that like lots of millennials are still growing up partially because I think we've also accepted the fact that grow that like growing up is a scam and that adulthood is fake. It's just a social construct. Like all it means that, that is that you have to pay the taxes. Title, that's the title for your next essay collection. Growing up is a scam. Adulthood is fake. The whole thing. Anyway, continue. <laughs> I, I have been, I have been thinking about writing something about how adulthood is a social construct because it really, absolutely, it just is. You know, my mom said to me once that helped me so much. Gosh, yes. uh, bless, bless my mother. She, what a, what a patient, wonderful woman. Um, we were on the <laughs> phone. Yeah. <laughs> we were on the phone. I was like 25 and I just had this moment of, I was like, holy shit, my mom got married when I was 25 and I, when she, or no, when I was 25. When she was 25. Yeah, exactly. And I was just like, I am nowhere near that. And so I panic called her and I was, I basically asked her, I was like, are you like worried about me? Like, are you worried about how like not far along in my life I am? And I was like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. I feel like I just wish I knew more what I was doing. And she's like, Jean, I'm in my fifties and I have no idea what the fuck I'm doing. Essentially, And it's, mm-hmm. it's just an amazing, it sounds so simple, but it's amazing to hear that from someone that you find so put together. And so like, like my mom is the most cool, confident person I know. And to hear her say that, just like, you know, it was, it was a nice moment. Yeah. My mom told me something really similar in yeah. the last couple of years we were talking and I, I, I keep asking her like at various ages, like, so what were yeah. you doing when you were my age? You know, <laughs> and she was often doing very different things because things like the economy were very different. Right. Right. Um, but I, I asked her whether she felt like a grown up. Mm, uh, and whether she felt like an adult. And she was like, no, I feel like I'm 17. <laughs> and I was like, I wait, that. 
I don't think I feel like I'm 17. Like I do feel like I'm older than that. So does that mean what? my mom is like spiritually younger than me or something? That's yeah, you're like, is my mom cooler than me? <laughs> I think like, she maybe. is. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I definitely think she is. Um, but yeah, how did you know that this was going to be your first book? Gosh, I mean, it sounds like we both kind of just fell into it, right? Like it's, it's weird. I, I always thought like, I'm I, like I mentioned earlier, I'm a big sports person and that was mm-hmm. so much a part of my identity. And I always, you know, I realized that so much of my personality is like getting mad that people are like mean about things and me wanting to prove them wrong. Oh my I, God, I, yes. <laughs> I hate that about me, but it's so true. Where it's like, I hate that people look at sports as lowbrow. Mm-hmm. Where I'm like, some of the smartest people I know play sports and some of the smartest people, like some of my favorite conversations have been like just talking about the intricacies of sports. And so I wanted to write like a high literary basketball novel. And mm. I still might, I still, I still might. You should. Like, thank you. I, I hope so. <laughs> it would be very queer. It'd be even queerer than this one. Oh, I mean, especially now, I feel like oh. queerness in sports is a big finally people are actually talking about it thank god i love it um but and i know nothing about sports i just know sports journalists oh great we'll talk more after amazing but yeah i mean i just thought i was like it was only an idea though and i couldn't Mm. look at the characters and i just i like now that we're talking i feel very ready to write a queer sports book at the time of the idea i was not ready to write a queer sports book you know and so so much of me getting ready to write my first novel was also just like you know as cliche as it is like just becoming a person ready to write the book that would matter to me you know so like even though the first idea was like oh pizza delivery a lot of the little pieces and textures kind of revealed themselves to me as I started writing it and playing around with it so was the pizza part like that was one of the original that was the OG. yes oh, okay. I, I did deliver pizzas in college so that you know came to me pretty quickly yeah um, but yeah is that so you're how did the road trip then come to you though I think it was, I, the letters thing came first. And then I was like, oh, if there's letters, you could hand deliver them. If you're hand delivering them, you can drive there. If we you're going to drive there, they can be yeah. far. Yes, yes. Yeah. Both of our characters actually spent a lot of time in cars. Well, you know what I think it is? I think like, gosh, I feel like I had so many like, if not meaningful moments, just like long moments of uninterrupted thinking in cars and so I view cars as very peaceful zen spaces in that way me too and I've done I've felt that way even more since moving to the midwest which maybe is part of why I wrote a road trip novel because like you know there's you have to drive farther to go anywhere I mean you have to to go places you have to drive basically it it is interesting too that we both wrote because I wrote this novel my LA novel when I was in New York and I think sometimes too, really? yes, I did. I, w- I did not write any of it in LA. And I think a big part of that is like, sometimes we need like distance mm-hmm. from the places we're writing about. Or it's like, sometimes I'd feel like, I think if I was in LA writing it, I'd feel the pressure to get every little fucking detail right. Mm-hmm. Where in New York, I had to rely on memory. And I think sometimes that makes it stronger. You're like, why did that lamppost stick out to me? Why mm-hmm. do I remember that donut place? You know, and, and I think it gives like really interesting texture and allows us to take, I think, creative license. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, but you also just mentioned something that I wanted to ask you about, actually, which is like the <laughs> things that Pizza Girl notices, mm-hmm. because they're so specific. And like, I mean, you know, when we were Instagramming about this, and I like yeah. raved about your novel to you, and I, I mentioned like Thank how you. she manages to make or I mean, you manage through her to make like mm-hmm. elements of what a lot of people might consider mundane, really exciting and really beautiful. Mm-hmm. And like, it's just because she, all she does is notice things. She just pays attention. Right. Um, 
And like, you know, like uh, just a couple of examples that I remember, like when she first leaves uh, Jenny's house and she sees her smile and she's like, she yeah. wants to bottle up that smile and pour it over her cereal. And like, that's such a weird synesthetic kind of thing. Um, or when the doctor puts that sonogram gel on her belly, she immediately thinks of it as alien spit, which is also just like so weird and unique. And so, I mean, how did you develop her narrative voice and, and those things that she notices? Gosh, I mean, it's a good question. I, I think it's something I feel like I started this project when, not Pizza Girl specifically, but sort of the act of like remembering detail when I was like, I was like 17 and my mom had made me break up with my first girlfriend and I, you know, and I was so mad because what they kept saying to me, my mom, her dad was that like, you're a kid, you don't know what the fuck you want. And I'm like, no, I know exactly what I want. And so just, I started also writing down just like, what are things you don't want to forget about being this age? Or what are the things you just don't want to forget? And I think I didn't even realize it was like sort of like my entryway into becoming a writer, but I feel like it just made me want to pay attention more. And it's something I just try to do every day. And I think, I think it's what, I mean, you do it in your book too. It's all about paying attention and opening your eyes a little wider and thinking about people a little more deeply and complexly and something we could all use a dose of. Mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> yes, yes, for sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, cause that's that queer people do often hear such weird platitudes from people, right? Like, oh, you don't know what you want, or you can't make up your mind, or yeah. you're too young to be able to know this thing about yourself, or, right. yeah, and, and of course, but that doesn't stop us from being able to, like, totally do the same thing to other people, <laughs> which For is what sure. Maggie does, right? I was gonna say, that made me think of, like, I loved, perhaps one of my favorite parts of the book is when Maggie and Liam are together uh and call me queer but that that just i think it really spoke <laughs> it really spoke to me just basically about like generational differences and you know the flaws on both ends like mm -hmm. i think that's that's the, so much of what your book is about beyond that section just like how we're wrong and how we're right and how it all is a huge fucking mess but a beautiful it is yeah. but also like how helpful it is i think to have queer elders and this is again yes. something that I feel very privileged to have had in my life totally, I mean totally. to have had an, a gay aunt that was just like that was normal in my family it was fine no one questioned it you know yeah. when she met my now other aunt Vero when I was like five or something you know like Vero became a part of the family now now they're both you know like they're both my aunts um and so I knew that that was a thing that that was okay very early but I I you know and I as as I said I teach now so I know from my students like how many of them mm -hmm. still don't have accepting families still come yeah. from places where people don't want to see them for who they are and like they don't have queer elders really you know yeah I mean that stuff matters like so much even just having someone to talk to about it like I wasn't out in high school but I had my one best friend Albert Lim love you sir still one of my great friends and we would drive my jeep god I was queer I, I really <laughs> down to the car we would drive my jeep and we would drink Miller lights and like smoke some Marlboro cigarettes mm -hmm. and we would just talk about feelings and I talk about just stuff I didn't understand and I think I'm like what would I have done if I didn't have an Albert like how, how would you have felt if you didn't have your aunt? You know, right. Like, so much lonelier, I think. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I was thinking in general though, like how are you feeling like, how do you recover from writing a book like this? That sounds so big and heavy, but <laughs> no, like- No, it's so real. About, right, like this is, you wrote a book about like grief and sexuality and growing up and I don't know. 
Well, I don't know if you feel this way, but I kind of feel like probably the best way to recover from writing a book is to not publish it. Uh, because publishing it didn't help, didn't feel like recovery. Yeah, what do you <laughs> it just mean? felt like a weird other thing. Yeah. Um, what do you, what do you mean? Do you mind elaborating? Yeah. I mean, it, it, because I've heard other writers say this, that like publishing is the opposite of writing. And I think that that's really true in some ways yeah. because it's very public facing. It's anxiety inducing because suddenly so many other people are involved and you right. have to rely on those other people because they're, they're supposed to either market or publicize your book. They're supposed mm -hmm. to edit your book. They're supposed right. to then sell your book. Then there's more people that get involved because there's the people who buy your book and you want them to buy your book because you want to keep right. being a writer. <laughs> but, you know, but then suddenly there's all of these people that yeah. are looking at it and reading it. Um, yeah. So it's, it suddenly makes it like not your, it's not just yours anymore. It stops being yours in many ways. Yeah. And so it's, I don't know. I mean, I feel like, I feel like I'm just now recovering from publishing it, you know, like I'm just I now letting myself, <laughs> well, I mean, you know, uh, in, in process, uh, I mean, I'm starting to finally like write other things a little bit, yeah. like starting, which I've not been doing in the past year. It, it yeah. felt so hard. Um, <laughs> Well, it's hard to get a character out of your head and like a story and just yes. like their energy. Um, I felt, I've been feeling the same way, just, or I felt the same way, kind of that weird feeling of like the book not belonging to you. And it's mm -hmm. tough because that, that is what is beautiful about books is that they belong to whoever is holding them and reading them. But as a writer, you, you, you especially our first book, I don't think I was prepared for how weird that would feel. Mm -hmm. You know, just yeah. this idea that someone would read my words and not know what's in my heart or like know the kind of person I am. I don't know. That was, that was very difficult for me, I think. Yeah. I mean, and, and especially like we were talking about before, like when, when you know that people might judge you according yeah. to the actions of your characters or think that you're totally, a bad totally. person for writing <laughs> yeah. a character who does complicated, fucked up things sometimes. Totally. Yeah. And that's, yeah, it's so weird to feel, to feel like you, like you almost know well, I mean, and part of it, I guess, is also the discourse around books that, like, again, is more public than it's ever been before. Right. right, um, right. So we know now what everyone is thinking. <laughs> yeah. Well, that actually leads me into my favorite question I wanted to ask you. You are now like a TikTok queen to me. Oh, How my God. <laughs> <laughs> How are you liking TikTok? I feel like I love your TikTok presence. Thank you. Uh, it's so weird. I got into it like I started using it because I basically was like this is so fucking weird and every like a bunch of people I know on the internet are using it I'm curious TikTok let was me my see first what it's experience about. TikTok was my first experience feeling old I was like I don't get youth culture right so, <laughs> but anyway no, it's true yeah. it's true that's the thing part of it was like I I was seeing people who were around my age on it and I had this right. I had this idea that TikTok was youth culture you know, like I had a couple, a couple of students of mine from uh, a couple of classes ago and I became uh, kind of friends after they were out of my class because, right. uh, because my school was being terrible about COVID and they were mm. good comrades and organizing uh, yeah. about things and trying to organize. Mm -hmm. Still so mad. Anyway, um, <laughs> but uh, shout out to John and Laurel. Um, so uh, Laurel, one of these former students was uh, telling us stuff about TikTok. And I kept being like, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't, what? Pickles? What? I don't, yeah. weird things with food? I'm so confused. Yeah. Uh, and so I decided at some point uh, a few months ago to be like, you know what? I'm going to try this out. 
because I used to want to be an actor. So oh, like, I didn't know that. Interesting. I, I had this very, this love of performance, very, I was very shy at the time, but had this enjoyment of performance and like set spaces. Mm. Uh, a good jawline too. I feel like a good jawline is what every actor needs. Oh know? my, thank you. Yeah. I really don't see it, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Continue. Um, so I decided I wanted to try it and see what I could do. And, you know, uh, now, now I'm uh, somewhat hooked, as they say, because of course I am. Uh, I feel like what I like about your TikTok presence, because again, I feel like I haven't super dived in. Like I have a friend send me a TikTok here and there, mm -hmm. or I'll watch a funny dance move. And I was like, okay, it's like Vine, but for right. people younger than me, I was like, I got it. But I like that you use it to have fun with yourself but also to like, just say things that are important to you, but in a really accessible and literally like what, like how long is the video? It's like 20 second way. 60 is the longest, yeah. 60, yeah, I mean, but the fact that you can say so much in like a really digestible sort of period is just kind of moving to me. Maybe I'm putting oh, too much importance on TikTok, but I find that very, very cool to use a platform like that for, you know, just as, as a mouthpiece. Uh, you know, it's interesting because I feel like we both grew up during the era of like, you know, as we were growing up, as we were tweens and teens, like social media <laughs> and yeah. the internet was becoming more and more a part of people's right. lives, like not just right. ours, but youth, the yeah. youth culture that we were in, <laughs> even if yeah. we weren't necessarily using it. Yeah. Um, but I remember in the early days of the internet, like so much was so much more private in part because you were anonymous. So like your right. live journal, no one knew it was your <laughs> live journal. Live journal. God, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> or Teen Open Diary was mine. Nice. Um, <laughs> the the, the pre-live journal or the, it probably wasn't pre, it was probably around the same time. But anyway, so like I still forget, I think, I mean, mm -hmm. I don't by now, but like I have the way that I use social media is very much with the same like 15 year old impulse <laughs> to be somewhat cringe and say things and forget that people actually know who I am now. <laughs> My friend sent me a meme the other day that I'll send you when we get off this Please. It was a picture of a lamb and the lamb was saying, I am cringe, but I am free. And it is now my favorite <laughs> meme I've ever seen. I think I it's so I want to print fun. that out and put it on my wall. Exactly. You need it on it. That's a t-shirt I'll make for you to add to your gay aunt Thank shirt you. collection. But no, it's true. I mean, gosh, I think it's really easy to shit on earnestness or like, you know, sentimentality. What do we call it? Writers, we call it saccharine. Mm -hmm. I'd rather be called saccharine than a lot of things. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I agree. better that than cruel or cynical or I don't know, close minded. Mm -hmm. So totally it, embrace agree. the cringe, embrace the cringe. Thank you. <laughs> uh, been... oh, yo, go ahead, please. Oh, yeah. yes. Well, I was just wondering because I know that you write for TV now. And so I was wondering yes. what that shift yeah. was like from writing like alone yeah. in whatever space you were in to writing in what is presumably at least somewhat of a collaborative environment. Yeah, it is. I mean, gosh, like the room I'm currently in now is like, like our boss also too, it speaks to how great our boss is, is that he is like very good at us saying, I think the line should be this when he wrote it, you know, like he's very good at taking our like feedback and doesn't take it personally. And so I think that he set up an environment right away that makes us really comfortable to collaborate. And so we go through the script page by page and he asks for alts or like, what do you think would be good here? So it is a very group write experience, which is fun. I think it's that weird thing of like fiction will always have my heart. I'll always be a fiction writer and I'll love books, you know, for everything they've done for me, how they've saved me. 
Um, but just in terms of day to day, this is, I feel like really been renewing it right now. Like the, the, you're a fiction writer, you know, like a good day of fiction writing means you're probably not talking to many people mm-hmm. and that you're very much in your own head. And like, it's emotionally exhausting. I feel mm-hmm. like I've dated people and most people I've dated aren't, haven't been writers. And so it's sometimes hard to explain to them, like why I don't want to hang out. Or that right. it feels like I have a physical labor job. I know that I obviously don't and our lives are so, you know, uh, we are so lucky to be able to do what we do from mm-hmm. the comfort of our home, but emotional labor, good God. <laughs> yeah. And also like you need, I don't know. I feel like a lot of writers tend to need alone time, even when they're not writing because right. you just need, because I don't know, in order to invent things, you have to have a lot of like space in your head yeah. to be in your head right? And to just sort of, and and sometimes that's not directly in the service of writing. It's just like Mm -hmm. being obsessed with something or being really anxious about something or just having a lot of feelings and and weird thoughts that like you can't get rid of. And it's sometimes awful, but sometimes it's productive. Totally. I mean, that's, I think if there's anything I've been, I think maybe why, and I'm interested how you feel about this. I think maybe why I haven't been writing much fiction this past year beyond the general stress of being alive mm-hmm. is like what makes me excited to write is just being a normal person in this normal fucked up world mm-hmm. and I haven't felt like I exist in the world lately right. you know yeah yes yes and at the moment I've been feeling very much like I exist way too much in my head <laughs> because yeah. of the anxieties of the past year and worrying totally. about people and worrying about yourself yeah. and worrying about the fucking world right now yeah. and yeah. you know, uh, or it's like a weird purgatory too of like, well, I don't want my fiction to be about the pandemic, but it also feels fucked up to do anything but think about the pandemic. You know right. what I mean? So it's, it's like, so what do you do? Exactly. I don't, I don't have a good answer. <laughs> exactly. I know. I mean, I think early in the pandemic, some of the only things I was able to write were things that were directly related to the pandemic right. in some way. Yeah. I felt like, oh, well, this feels relevant, but not just relevant, like in a, I can sell this because it's yeah. relevant way, relevant, like, I am thinking about nothing else. You're like, I need to get this out. Yes. Like I need to express myself, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I don't know. Well, gosh, so you're getting back to writing. How are you, how are you feeling about like, are you going for another novel or we, you just talked about essays. Like for anyone who's listening, who hasn't read some of Alana's like just criticism and I, I think criticism in a warm way, just like her reviews, they're incredible and really just nuanced and well-observed. Thank very, you. I really simple. enjoy writing them. Um, yeah, a it's a shame that criticism is not super tenable. <laughs> oh, <God>. um, <laughs> but uh, no, I'm, I'm in the process of trying to write another novel, which nice. feels very scary. Uh, and mm-hmm. most days, I don't know, I've been like terrified to write yeah. for some reason, just like really terror stricken, like, like I need to force myself to do it. And that makes me yeah. really sad because I right. want to feel again, like the joyfulness totally. of it totally. or the, the joy that comes sometimes. It doesn't, I don't think for most people it's all the time, um, <laughs> but yeah. So I'm, I'm doing that and I'm doing the thing where I'm getting lost in the research way too Love much. That. uh no, that's great. But here's hoping something happens with it. I don't know. I hope that yeah. I can finish it at least. Totally. Well, it's, I, I love the pre-writing time. I love the sort of just like getting into the world mm-hmm. um, in whatever world that may be, whether it's like, you know, doing really intense like historical research or just thinking about the characters. That that, that to me is usually the fun part in some ways because it's still yes. the shape. You don't know what it's going to be yet. And there's an right. excitement to that, even though it's a little scary as well. 
Yeah, I think the like no writing for me at least is that I remember in my head, and this is something I feel like so many new writers go through like you're you're just your goals are constantly changing and that can be really exhausting where I remember god I was like man if I get an agent I'll be so happy that's all I fucking want and then you get your agent and you're like oh man if someone buys my book fuck what would make me happier and then that happens and then you have a new thing that you want you're like oh man you're like now I want people to read my book I want my book well reviewed like there's always a new goal and that is what keeps us moving but it also makes you want to die sometimes I don't mean that too darkly but like I just I am exhausted sometimes with the amount I want yes (laughs) yes it's exactly that it's the want like you want so much and you want so much partially because I mean both because obviously you want to be able to keep writing and you want to write another book and etc right but I think also some of that is is the very weird sort of capitalist consumerist mindset invading, right? Because suddenly your book is a product and then you suddenly need to make that product sell. And then you need another product so that can sell. And it kind of is really easy to lose sight of why you do it. Totally, like, you know, like avoiding clout chasing or avoiding like just circle jerks and like, yes, I don't know. It's hard Yeah, because it's all very tempting, right? Especially because you see sometimes your mentors or your, or not, I mean, maybe not your mentors, but like (laughs) people, you know, you see that happening or it looks like it's happening. But I also feel like so many authors, like even when it looks on the outside, like they're so successful and everything is going well, on the inside, they're still just chasing the next thing because that's what we all do. <laughs> I know. I think that's what I always remind myself too. Cause like, I just complained about, I was like, oh my God, it's so exhausting watching like the machine work where everyone feels that way. Yes. You know, it's not writer's faults that they're exhausted, right. you know, and it's no one writer that's, that's doing it. You know, it's like, we are put in this system that just drains us and mm-hmm. makes us want to not write. Like I, yes. I applaud anyone that like anyone one who can get a book published incredible and two if you keep writing after that that's amazing mm-hmm. absolutely going are you uh returning to fiction anytime soon or are you feeling like you still need a break i i've enjoyed my break i i want to get back to it i do want to get to the second novel my second novel concerns weed so i've mostly just been doing research on that which oh that sounds so very important, very important. Very I, I did a lot of similar research writing um, lovers you know great maybe we'll be able to expense it you know write it off oh my god once i live in la for real there we go there we go it's medicine that's everyone listening move to la come to skylight books yes come to skylight i'm so sorry to like cut it off also i want to be in on this weed research whoever is like running it just let me know yes (laughs) but i'm sorry totally i actually think that's a perfect place to end yeah. <laughs> it seemed like a good I was like yep, we, that's it that's where that's yes. at the end of, that's a natural yeah perfect we out we out yeah I also feel like it just flowed so nicely there wasn't like first question second question it was just, yeah. like, it was just a conversation yeah. well you guys had a, it was a great conversation you guys were earnest and cool and queer and that's like it that's all I, that's all you need um the, we'd love to see it I love it I love it so before you guys go, I just want to ask a question I usually ask writers Please. who are on the pod. What are you, I mean, this past year has been, what's the, insane doesn't feel right, crazy, all of the above, what, what, all of it. But what have you guys done to like, get, what have you watched or read that has like given you some mm. sort of peace during the past year? Ooh, that's a good question. Alana, do you have anything off the top of your head? 
piece. Um, okay, this this is gonna sound probably pretty weird, uh, but I have recently so. Pluto TV is like that free app that like it has commercials and stuff, but you yes. know, it's just, it, it has channels, all sorts of uh, like channels that just run the same TV show and just like over and over again. Um, so there's like a whole Adams family channel and, and there's also a Star Trek channel and I've never been a Trekkie at all, but my partner is, uh, or was raised one. Um, and we've just been like occasionally watching Star Trek Next Generation and it's so utopic and sweet. <laughs> Aww. And like all of the conflict is so low stakes, you know, <laughs> and it's just like, oh, wow, maybe humanity can get to a place where our entire mission in life is to make peace with all of the other beings in the universe. Wouldn't oh, that yeah. be beautiful? You know, it's just very peaceful. <laughs> mm. That's uh, so my opposite. I, I've also done a low stakes show, but me and my mother and brother have been watching Hell's Kitchen. I have, I'm so into it. It's so funny. I'm like eating my Kraft mac and cheese and watching the TV and being like, idiot can't cook a scallop, right? You know? I'm like, <laughs> I can't cook a goddamn scallop. <laughs> but that has given me so much joy. I don't know why that show, just the formula of it, the yelling, but it's like so low stakes yelling, you know, it's fantastic. It's <laughs> nice to see people being angry about things that don't really matter that mm, much matter. to the world. It's like a refreshing kind of anger yeah. as opposed to the anger that I I assume many of us are feeling about all of the things that totally. do matter in the world right now. Yeah. Yeah. Like Gordon Ramsay screaming about a risotto feels like just the right <laughs> amount of stress I can take yes. right now. <laughs> oh, I, think I mean, both of those sound like, I mean, amazing. And I love that. The No, I feel like that Hell's Kitchen, I also feel that um, I'm like judging them for being like, hey, you guys can't you got you can't like finely chop garlic like what that's crazy when i'm like i have like a garlic presser and that's the only <laughs> way i know how to do it and like still I know. Yeah. like i'm eating like takeout because i can't bother to like pick up a pot i it's it's oh yeah, i mean it's beautiful. yes all my vegetables die slowly mm -hmm. yeah oh yeah who buy, people who buy vegetables to cook i don't get it you have to buy vegetables to throw away three weeks later because it went bad. Yeah, I was about to say, that's pretty impressive. Ugh. Too ambitious of me, yeah. <laughs> well, this has been fantastic. I I mean, just listening to you two speak has been great. Um, do you guys have anything you would like to say to the independent bookstore community before we wrap up? Independent bookstore, booksellers, all of that. Thank you. I just I know huge it's just as simple as thank that. Thank you. Fucking thank you. Yeah. Keep up the good work. People support if you can. I mean, I know it's money is tough always, especially right now. But if you if you can spare it, go to an independent bookstore. Yeah. If you're buying books, please, yeah. please buy from independent bookstores. They are such pillars of so many communities and and are just such joyful places. Yeah. Well, you heard from two of the one two of the coolest people I've ever met that you should go to go to independent bookstore now. Like, what are you doing? Get off this podcast, run to your independent bookstore. Um, no, thank you two so much. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Alana Massad and Jean Kyung Frazier. And everyone go out and buy their books, um, All My Mother's Lovers and Pizza Girl, which are, Pizza Girl is now in paperback. And I think by the time, when does All My Mother's Lover come on paperback? May 25th. May 25th. So I think by this time the podcast comes out. Yeah, two weeks. Yeah, by the time the podcast comes out. Amazing. 
go buy it in paperback. So go, you have no excuse now. Um, but I'm <laughs> <laughs> thank you both for doing this podcast. Thank you to my thank you, Lance. Oh, no, no, it was my pleasure. And I apologize for all my facial expressions. No, we love <laughs> no, this. they were so you great. You were giving us the reaction we needed, like we were yes. talking about, like that we're not talking to an ex chamber it was lovely it was i was like i i have to like control myself sometimes i have to be like don't turn on don't turn on because you want it right now but uh <laughs> no just it was amazing oh, so thank, sweet. You guys. thank you to all my beautiful listeners out there and come back again and you have a wonderful rest of your day thank you for listening to the skylight books podcast series Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon. I see.